you know, so I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, so we were really, um, like, we, we, there was lots of opportunity for testimony, but it was very kind of reserved, and it was kind of formulaic, like every, everything was kind of the same. It was, I was a horrible person, uh, I had some kind of moment where I accepted Christ into my heart, and then now I'm great. Um, and it's kind of like various versions of that. And so, yes, we had that. Were you someone that um, kind of had a boring testimony then, like that you didn't have any? 100%. Super lame. Super lame. This is Erica. That was Tim Deal. And you're listening to the Holy District Podcast. do about that i just didn't i mean mostly felt shame really so yeah yeah so thank you for giving me this opportunity to relive that i appreciate that yeah well i'm hoping that in today's episode you know it's like a different kind of a vibe right we're we're talking about what jesus has done for us um, in general how we came to follow jesus but then also what has Jesus done for me lately? Uh, how how are you seeing Jesus show up in your life in the kind of day-to-day? And so, I mean, you listen to the podcast every week, like a glorious, yeah. kind, um, community supporter, Holy District guy. And, I love it. And so you know, like the emphasis has not been that we have to have this like rags to riches kind of story in order for um, us to, to respond to the invitation to testify it's just more about observing um, mm. how God is at work in the midst of our lives. And I I kind of feel like you've been in a season where you are moving from more of that intellectualized engagement of faith to a little bit more of an experiential engagement. So I was thinking you you might have some interesting things to share today. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm, I'm trying. Uh, yeah. yeah. So tell yeah, me we'll, what to we'll testify about. Tell us something. <laughs> um, okay. So um, because now I have um, Sound of Music running through my head and the let's start at the very beginning. I feel we can start at the beginning. Um, so my dad was a, uh, so he was a, a regional rep for um, NCR, the people who created the very first ATM machine. Wow. Um, so yeah, so he flew around the country for them, and then he got laid off and had this kind of born-again experience at a Billy Graham crusade. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then out of that, uh, the combination of those two things, uh, he ended up moving us to, we were living in West Virginia, moved us to North Carolina to go to seminary. Uh, So family of six moved down North Carolina. Uh, He went to um, Southeastern Theological Seminary, which is a Southern Baptist seminary in North Carolina. Um, So grew up as a pastor's kid, which I didn't actually know that was a thing until later, when people are like, oh, you're a PK. Um, and I was like, I don't, I don't know what that means. Um, but yeah, so I grew up as a PK, pastor's kid. Um, and, you know, that was a, there was a lot of great stuff about that. Like, I really appreciate um, the story that was kind of embedded in me, right? Like, I, I, I appreciate that I grew up with this kind of deep sense 
that God was good, that I was a part of something bigger, um, that my life had meaning, like all of those kinds of things. I, I just, I'm really grateful for that. Um, certainly, uh, I also <laughs> grew up with, I, I think our particular tradition, I don't want to uh, speak kind of in, you know, general terms about the entire Southern Baptist uh, experience, uh, but my experience as a Southern Baptist, there was a whole lot of, a whole lot of hell, a whole lot of shame and guilt. Uh, essentially, the message that was kind of taught to me um, was, you are really, really bad, like really bad, so bad that God, like, really just wants to murder you. Um, however, at, like, he decided to send Jesus, that he could murder instead. Right. Um, we didn't do a whole lot of work with the Trinity and how that was kind of... So we did, just didn't bother with that too much. Um, but because God was able to murder Jesus, he now doesn't have to murder me. But he still really wants to. And if I don't pray the right prayer, he will. Continuously. For all eternity. Mm. Um... And so it's really important that I pray that prayer and and that I not mess up. Because if I mess up, then it probably means I didn't mean it when I prayed that prayer. Um, and then it really sucks. So, um, so my, like, I, I, you know, I'm using air quotes here for our listeners. Um, I asked Jesus into my heart, like, thousands of times, probably. I mean, probably every, you know... As a, as a teenage boy, there was lots of stuff to repent for, uh, and so pretty much every time uh, I was alone with my thoughts, I was faced with the reality that I was probably going, it was quite likely that I was going to be tortured for all of eternity, um, mm. because I was just a really horrible person. Um, so that was, you know, I'm sure that was not the experience of all Southern Baptist kids, and my parents really loved us, so they didn't do that on purpose, right? really. Um, but that is the message that got embedded kind of in me. Um, and it's funny, the, my first experience with kind of having this light bulb moment where I realized God might actually be more loving than I thought was this moment of deeply misinformed theology, right? So, like, I am convinced that God uses really bad theology sometimes mm. to teach us things that are true. Um, so I was at this, and you can edit any of this out, because I'm just babbling now. Um, but I was at this youth convention, because we would do these things, right? We'd go to youth conventions, and, and there was, like, a musician who his whole thing was, he, he was, like, the Christian Weird Al, um, only mm. a lot worse at it, right? And so he would take old songs, old, like, quote-unquote, again, air quotes, secular songs, and he would replace the lyrics with, air quotes, Christian lyrics. Yeah. Um, and it was horrific. But for Southern Baptist kids, we're like, ooh, we can, let, like, this is great. This is fun. Um, so anyway, so I was at one of those things, and there was this guy who played that music, and then there was some youth pastor who was, like, passionately speaking from the front. And I remember this moment where he was telling us about this scene in the Gospels, the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is, um, you know, basically asking God to come up with a plan B for the whole crucifixion thing. Um, and this guy, <laughs> he says, in this moment, Jesus sold you out. 
but, but God loved you so much that he ignored Jesus' request. Now, that is horrible. Like, it, I cannot even begin. I mean, I had to swallow a little vomit in my mouth just now saying that. It was, it's horrible. But there was this thing that turned in my mind that I was like, wait a second. Wait, you mean maybe, like, God loves me? Mm. What? And that might sound utterly just silly, to most of the people who are listening. But for me, I mean, I, I mean, to this day, I still remember that moment where I walked away going, like, maybe this is different than I thought. Yeah. Um, when you've been, so anyway. When you've been yeah. told the good cop, bad cop version of the gospel, in air yeah. quotes again, because um, gospel means good news, and there's not any yeah. good news about what you, what you shared about kind of the foundation that you were given. It's all kind of bad news. Um, that the best news that you can get out of that is like, maybe I won't go to hell if I pray the right, you know, if I pray enough or, you know, whatever. Um, so this, this youth pastor gives you an, another version where God, the father, isn't the bad cop. God, the son is the bad cop. And it, right. for a moment you got to think like, oh, maybe the father doesn't just purely hate me. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, Jesus had to take the rap on that um, for... Jesus is used to that. He's always taken the rap, right? He, you know, he, yeah. Anyway. Um, but that was enough to kind of at least jolt you out yeah. of the, you know, the flow that you had been in all that time of like, well, yeah, this is what the, this is what I hear all the time, Tim. I don't know if you've experienced this in like your previous pastoral ministry and the work that you do. People will talk to me and we'll be reflecting on their view of God and their understanding of the Bible. And when I ask them, like, where did you learn that? Um, and they'll say, that's, that's what the Bible says. And then mm. ask, okay, yeah, like where? And there's not a really, most people don't actually, some people would, you know, there are pastors, there are leaders, and there are certain people of certain theologies that could point to some passages for the reasons that they believe what they believe. But the majority, the everyday person, they don't know where the Bible says it, but they just know that the Bible says, God, like, I am terrible. And yeah. God had to, um, it, you know, God had to kill someone. And, yeah. you know, I <laughs> right. it, but, you know, these are things that are just kind of taken for granted. And, and if I say to them, like, I actually don't see it that way. They're like, you don't believe the Bible? And I'm like, no, I really believe the Bible. I super duper believe yeah, right. the Bible. And yeah. <laughs> I actually read it is the difference. Right. But yeah. you don't know because f from the time yeah. that you're small, when you do grow up in a religious community, whatever kind of community it is, you are, you are receiving your faith from the people who are older yes. than you and you are receiving it, how they're teaching it to you. And so when you're receiving it, this is what the Bible says. This is what God says. And something comes along and it, and kind of disrupts that, that can be kind of scary. Was that scary for you? How did you, how did you deal with this wrinkle in your understanding as it was presented to you? Hmm. It wasn't scary. It was freeing. Um, I mean, I've lived most of my life being afraid of God. And so this was the first time I had an opportunity to go, maybe I don't, maybe I don't need to be afraid of God, or at least not all the time. Um, and so it was incredibly freeing. Um, and I think it was probably the beginning of this journey of like trying to kind of poke at that a little bit. I think um, 
you know, I don't know if I've really thought about this before, Erica, so this is, I could be completely wrong, but I, I think what happened there is, you know, this little, like, there, there was this picture I had of God, um, and it started to crack a little bit. Mm. Um, and I, I could kind of see behind it something else. And so I think the rest of my life has been like pulling at that little crack and trying to see what was really behind there. What, what's actually, what is the painting actually? Uh, because what I've been looking at is a facade, some kind of caricature that's not, it's rooted in something like it's, 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 there's some stuff in there that's true, but it's been so distorted that it's essentially a lie. Mm. Um, and so trying to kind of pull that apart and figure out what's the picture behind there. Um, and without being too, uh, I don't know, like, yeah, I, I don't know how to say it. Like without, I, there's a lot to, a long way to go yet, but I think the, the irony of all of this and what I feel like I've come to discover is that the picture kind of behind there was, is Jesus. Mm. Um, that that's the thing that. I'd never really understood. You know, Brian Zond is a, an author you and I have talked about. He's a pastor, author, um, and he has a saying that's not, you know, it's not super clever, but when you think about it, you're like, wow. He's like, you know, he says, God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. We didn't always know that, but now we do. Mm-hmm. Something like that, right? Um, it's not the kind of thing you, like, wear a t-shirt or something, but if you think about it, you're like, uh, uh, that's, that, that's everything. Um, like if, and that's what the Bible says, right? That's the great irony of all of this. That's actually what the Bible says. Yeah. Um, but in, until you kind of, until you get it, you don't get it. Um, and I don't want to act like I've got it. Like I don't have all of it, but at least that piece feels like it's really come into focus for me. decide to keep peeling back the layers instead of just throwing the whole thing away? Hmm. Yeah, I thought about that coming into this. Uh, I've had a few moments in my life where I've thought about, is this true? But honestly, that question's just not even that interesting to me. Mm. Um, my... And I get that I've been brought up in this, and so it's very different. But I, I am, uh, what, I really love the story of Jesus. Like there's, even if, and I, and I don't believe this, but even if, even if the Bible's not true, even if Jesus has no divinity in him, 
he's compelling and I, I want to learn more about him and to be shaped in a way that reflects him. Like if someone would actually look at me and say, you remind me a lot of that Jesus guy that I'd be like, all right, like I'm doing something right. Um, so, you know, there've been moments where I've had these kind of existential crises. Um, and some of that is being growing up in fundamentalism. Um, my dad used to, oh, I'm sorry if that word is, doesn't mean, for, so just this idea of this strict literal understanding of scripture, um, you know, my, my dad used to say all the time, uh, like the entire Bible rests on the book of Genesis, the entire book of Genesis rests on the first 11 chapters, which rest on the first chapter, which rests on the first verse, right? Like that was kind of how, and so it was very much the, you know, you, you pull the, it's the house of cards, right? You pull out that card and for, for us, one of the, the key cards was like a literal seven day creation, right? So you pull on that and the whole thing comes tumbling down. And so, you know, I would say when I first, again, kind of went to college and started taking anthropology classes and having conversations with people, and I was like, interesting, um, I'm not sure what to do all with all of this, and so having to wrestle with whether or not Genesis is literal, like that, you know, that was an existential kind of moment, like, what do I do with that? But the moment I found people who helped me understand how the Jesus story fit in a different, different way of understanding, like, I was all in, and so, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't want to come across as like, I'm someone who studied everything, and I, I've, I've kind of figured out, like, this stuff isn't good, and this stuff... I'm just really compelled by Jesus, and I, I've not had a lot of interest in jettisoning that. Um, I, I'm I'm very happy to have my life oriented by his story. I think my desire is just to understand what that means more and more. Um, so I'd love to have a better story of intellectually wrestling with that, and you know, having some amazing experience of you know, falling away and then coming back. That's just not, that's just never been true. Um, Why would you love to have a different story than the one you have? Because they're cool. I mean, they're cool, right? Like, you know, the person who, you know, like went and they did whatever and like set their life on fire for five years. And then like Jesus shows up one night when they're laying in bed about to OD or something. Um, and is like, no, I love you. And then they're like, oh, my life was never, you know, I do it all up, right? Like, those are compelling stories. That's just, that's not me. I never oh, had yeah. that. I'm sure the person who is like, you know, about to overdose is thinking like, I wish I had Tim's story where I didn't have to burn my life down. <laughs> sure, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 100%. I know it's so sad to have an easy life. It's so, so sad. Tim, Tim, so Timmy. Tell me this. Are you still afraid of God, the Father? Mm-mm. No, not at all. Um, I probably could use a little bit more fear, actually. Um, yeah, fear in terms of, like, well, I'm, I'm joking. But I do think, um, as someone, you know, I'm, I'm 45 now. I, I would be willing to guess that I'm the oldest person you've had on your uh, on your podcast. But um, they, you don't have to think too hard about that. It's, let's just... You're pretty old. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm pretty old. I'm pretty old. Um, so, what was the question? Oh, am I afraid of God? No. So I think I've gotten comfortable enough with my sense that I am loved that there, there could be a risk of um, minimizing the, the enormity of who God is, right? Like, 
I think, I think there is nothing more true than that God is fully revealed in Jesus. And yet, I also think it's true that even in Jesus, there is mystery beyond what we can understand, right? And so, like, you look at the, the what is the James Webb tele, uh, telescope pictures, or um, uh, satellite pictures, and you look at that, and it's just like, you, there's just no category to put those things in. Um, and, and so I think there is a risk of becoming just too comfortable with my... Uh, my theology and my understanding of scripture and, and the stories of Jesus uh, that sometimes I think I need shocked into a little bit of, not fear, but awe, mm. um, a sense of mystery and wonder uh, that helps me to realize, like, even in my certainty, I'm like, I'm so, like, I, there's so little that I know. Um, and that will always be true, no matter how much I learn, um, no matter how right in air quotes, um, my theology or my perspective, it will always be mine um, in a way that's very finite and in many ways exclusive to me. Um, and so, yeah, I need to be more mystery, more mystery. And I think that gets at the biblical idea of fear, um, especially we see again and again in the Old Testament and the Psalms, the fear of the Lord being um, a major theme that you can tr trace throughout the Bible. And I think some people, if you just kind of import our modern cultural understanding of that word fear, it could say, seem reasonable like, yeah, you should be afraid of God. You should be afraid that God would harm you or would you know, want to... Yeah. You know, but what you're talking about, that awe, that reverence, that right understanding of just the enormity, the magnitude, the mysteriousness of the creator and, mm. um, and how small we are in comparison to, to God, to the reality that is yeah. God, the ground of being, that that does, you know, when I'm looking out at the ocean, I feel... I feel a little scared. Like I, I feel a little scared, not that the ocean is going to, you know, jump up and grab me and hurt me or something like that. But there's this feeling of like, I cannot comprehend this. I cannot see the end of this. I cannot understand the depths of this. And it's something that I can behold with my eyes right now. That just makes me think like, whoa, <laughs> yeah. I need, I need to take uh, inventory of myself if I'm going to engage this awesome thing that we call the ocean. And I think that is a glimpse of what the Bible is talking about when it talks about fear of the Lord. Um, that it is something we can, we can wade into God. We can experience mm. God and we can be safe in that. But there's also an awareness of the enormity and the otherness of God that's healthy for us. If we're going to yeah. um, have a positive interaction I don't know. How, how does that sound to you? Oh, yeah. I, 100%. And I, it makes me think, so I was listening, you and I both like Chris Green, who's a theologian, um, and he was talking about how we have to deal with the reality that in Scripture we encounter a God who we are both called to fear and whose primary um, statement to us when we encounter God is do not be afraid. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, that is the reality, this tension of... Fear God, do not be afraid. Um, and there's not, like, th th there's that we have to live in that. 
Um, it's not like we need to resolve that so you get to a place where you're like, oh, no, we live in that tension. Um, yeah, so. and it makes me think of the metaphor. You know, when we think of God as king, Jesus as king, and then we think of ourselves as sons and daughters of God, we think of ourselves as heirs, co-heirs with Christ. These are biblical metaphors and language that we're given to by our scriptures. You know, what, yeah. what that makes me think of is, if I were like a peasant in a kingdom, the way that I would fear a king would be one particular way. Here is this all-powerful sovereign being that with one decision could make my life a living hell or could be generous and could, you know, care for me, but I don't know. You know, and and in in the history of kings, you know, kings usually kind of don't do super great things. And so but then when I think of myself as not just some random person in a kingdom, but as the daughter of a king, there is a sense in which that king, like the king, he is the king. The king is the king. The king is sovereign. The king is making decisions. But I also know this king, and this king is my dad, and this king, um, it, it, you know, loves me. I'm a, I'm made from the stuff, the same stuff as this king. Like, it's a it's a yeah. different thing to be the the dot the child of the king and to live in the kingdom than it is just be some random person in a kingdom. And yeah. I love that though we're given those metaphors by the scriptures to say, yeah, there's the sovereignty to be respected and revered. And also you can come running into the throne room anytime and jump up on your dad's lap because the king is your dad and your dad's a good dad. And that's how Jesus talks about the father. And like you've been kind of coming back to so far in this episode is Jesus reveals to us what the father is like. And so we can trust we can trust Jesus's communication to us about God more than we can trust anybody else. I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that has been, I mean, that's been everything for me uh, over the last, I mean, particularly over the last decade um, is coming to um, the realization that Jesus is like, Jesus is the word of God is what scripture says about Jesus. Right. And so, when we want to know what it is that God has to say about God's self, it's Jesus. Um, first and foremost, primary, um, whereas I was brought up to believe that the primary word of God was all of the written scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if there was a contradiction, like if I read something about God just often a bunch of people who he was angry at in the Old Testament, and I would quote Jesus saying, love your enemies, there was a real conflict there, right? Like, well, yeah, sure, Jesus said love your enemies, but over here, God killed a whole bunch of people, um, and that they had equal weight. And that was really, I think for years, there was just this cognitive dissonance for me, trying to wrap my head, because I love the Bible. Like, I grew up reading the Bible, so, and like, it was weird. Like, it was super weird how much I enjoyed the Bible. Um, but I read it so much and I had all these Bible story books that I would just read and read and read. And it was such, it was just, I couldn't wrap my head around why in some places God seemed, it, it made the whole like hell thing make sense, right? Because sometimes God really does just get pissed off and kill people. Um, I'm sorry, is that a, you can bleep that out later if that's bad. Um, and other times God has incredible mercy. And I'm like, well, what do I, what do I do with this? Like, is God psychotic? 
Like, mm-hmm. is like what is happening here? Um, and so getting to the place where I think, where, where, I, where I know I am now, and I, I think it's correct, um, but right, um, is, you know, Jesus is the primary word, um, first and last, the Alpha and Omega, then he's the, he's the check, right? So anytime I read something in scripture that's like, man, that sounds really not, that's weird. I don't know what to do with that. How do I, I read back through Jesus and it helps me understand what might be going on. Um, so yeah, so that's been, my goodness, that's been huge. Yeah. And I'm imagining, you know, if the perspective that you were given and you were even talking earlier about you know, the Bible is all, you know, hinges on Genesis, and Genesis hinges on the first 11 chapters, and then 11 chapters hinges on the very first, and like, Jesus is included in that. So what that means is, if if the seven-day literal creation isn't the isn't accurate, or, you, you know, you get to a place where it's not tenable for you in your, as an intellectual and as a logical thinker to say, yeah, you know, everything that was made was made in six literal days and then God rested on the seventh day. Then now Jesus is gone. Yeah, I know. Right. And, and, and whenever we, you read the whole story of the Bible and you get to Jesus, Jesus says the Bible is pointing to me, you know, ultimately the Bible is here to, to point you to me. Um, you can't, you don't get to have, you don't even get to read that verse in that prior (laughs) framework. Um, if yeah. you don't believe in a literal seven-day creation, and wow, that yeah, um, what an interesting way to think about the God of the universe—that um, our ability to believe in Him actually has to, is subjugated to our ability to believe in a literal seven-day creation. Um, but yeah. now, the way that you've come to understand God and your relationship to God is through the person of Jesus, and then Jesus mm-hmm. becomes your guide into mm. you know the rest the rest of the bible and now that's a much safer way to engage a really confusing um complex ancient multicultural multilingual text which is our you know we we call our sacred scriptures um yeah. that does feel like a much more secure place to be yeah absolutely absolutely um and it, it just feels like a, a more realistic, like, I, I feel like, I, I don't know, there was so much I had to ignore to read the scriptures a particular way, like, mm-hmm. to make them say the thing that I wanted them to say. There was so much I had to ignore. And I'm not saying there are zero tensions that I experience now trying to read the scriptures. Certainly there are. There are all sorts of times I come up on things and I'm like, yeesh, I don't know what to do with that. But it doesn't freak me out anymore because before, if I came up to something in like, you know, some obscure, you know, if I'm reading the book of, good Lord, what, uh, Second Chronicles, right? And suddenly I'm like, wait a second, in this vast genealogy of people, there's this one person who maybe that name isn't spelled right. Holy cow, the whole Bible is wrong, right? Like it was that kind of a thing that's just, as you were saying, it's just untenable. Yeah. Um, let me let me just take our conversation to the the second piece of it then. So you've, yeah. you've shared with us kind of your journey from you know being a PK and the faith tradition that you received 
and how that was an invitation um, yes. you know, at a certain point to to go deeper and that and and yeah. that you've been on this journey of going deeper of uh, your whole life. Um, yeah. what what would you say as like today, Tim Deal? What's Jesus been up to in your life? What what can you bear witness to? Um, and how are you seeing Jesus at work in your life right now? So, um, so is uh, so. I recently uh, went through, as you know, but your listeners probably don't. I went through a career shift, um, and. Over the last year, 15 months, well, before that, before I actually shifted careers, I think I have, for probably the first time in my life, not been able to figure it out. Um, And by it, I just mean, like, how do I make life work? Um, And so, I think up until that period, again, I lived... I'll admit it, fairly charmed life. Not a lot of suffering. Um, certainly, yeah, a lot to be thankful for. Um, but it just hit the season where nothing worked. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized I was really, like I was just failing at some things that mattered a lot to me. Um, and it has been this really interesting descent into, um, you know, Jesus talks a lot about in the, you know, if you look at, for example, the gospel of Mark, um, the second, there's this kind of strong shift in Mark. In the beginning of Mark, everything happens fast. Immediately is one of the primary words you read and, uh, everything is just kind of energetic and exciting, and then you hit the midpoint, and Jesus talks about how he's going to start. He's going to go to the cross, and from there on, the whole thing is about dying to yourself. It's about the last being first. It's about the the, the whole upside down kingdom. Like this thing is not going to come like you think it is. In fact, it's going to come through suffering. Um, and again, I want to be careful because to use the suffering word, I mean, goodness gracious, so many people have suffered so much. Um, but the last 15 months to two years, um, man, it's just been a lot of gut checks, a lot of moments of just coming to the end of myself and feeling like I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, and that's professionally, that's personally, that's relationally in my family, um, and so all of these places where <clears throat> I've really had to ask the question, like, what, what, am I, what am I expecting out of this relationship with Jesus? Like, what's the end game? Um, and I think, if I'm honest, prior to this, it was certainly, there was, I kind of expected Jesus to make life go right. Like if I were just faithful enough, if I were doing the right things, if I was loving other people, if I was sacrificial, like all of these, whatever, um, it would all work out. It would be good. Um, and there's so many places where that just, that has not been true. 
Um, which has kind of led me back to the place of like, so what is this all about? Like, what? why am I doing this anyway? And what does it look like now that I'm in a role that isn't at least not um, in any kind of uh, immediate way about talking about Jesus or about, you know, I'm not preaching, I'm not, I'm not doing Bible studies, at least not as much. Um, in this role I'm in where it's not a ministry job necessarily. I mean, we can argue about that. Sure it is in some ways, but like, who am I, right? Like, who, who am I if I'm not these other roles? So that's, so I think, so where has Jesus shown up in that? Like, I really feel like Jesus has invited me into um, this place of losing things um, for the sake of finding, um, finding him, finding what matters, finding something that's deeper than ministry success or um, what a financial success or, or whatever it might be. Um, again, maybe it's another layer picking underneath the, the painting, right? Like trying to figure out what's the, what's the next thing. Um, because maybe even this at some level was some kind of facade or, or at least not clearly the picture. Um, and in this interesting way, um, so it's been really easy for me in my life to be others focused because of my personality, because of various other things. It's just easy for me to put other people first. The interesting inversion that I feel like I'm experiencing right now is this moment of trying to figure out, like, so who am I apart from anybody else? Like, what is my identity apart from who I'm serving, the congregation I'm leading, the ministry I'm a part of, this larger thing that I can get my identity from, this, this group of people who might be looking to me. Um, a, a number of years ago, I kind of wrote a journal entry that I kind of tucked away, and the title of it was My Greatest Fear, right? And the, the answer to what my greatest fear was was obscurity, right? I didn't want to be obscure, Mm. And uh, and so I find myself now, in very real ways, um, kind of pressed into a place of more or less obscurity, um, and having to figure out what that means. And I'm trusting, and I, I know you and I have talked about this in the past, there's that amazing Joseph Campbell quote, right? The cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. Mm-hmm. And so... I'm trusting that in this cave is the thing that I'm seeking. The, the thing I most want is going to be found in this place. And, and so when you ask, like, what is Jesus doing for me? Like, I think in this moment, I'm, I'm believing that Jesus loves me enough to take me to a place that can be pretty painful sometimes. Um, because in the end, it's going to bring me to a place that, that is really good. Um, and I'm experiencing some of that already. Certainly, I, I've seen moments of that. And, um, yeah, but but I think it's something like that. That was rambling. Mm, but anyway, no, it wasn't. Yeah. No, it wasn't. I think, you know, what's so powerful 
about what you're bearing witness to right now, Tim, is that you're still in process. And Mm. I think a lot of times we might feel like if some, you know, someone's asking, is, you know, is the Lord good or what's Jesus done for you? Or, you know, that kind of thing that we have to reflect on something that we've overcome already and we've got it figured out Mm. and now we're, we're good. And I don't think that that is the most realistic way to think about how Jesus works in our lives. Um, you know, our scriptures talk about faith as a journey, a walk. And it's just like this step by step by step kind of, kind of a thing. And once we get space between our victories and, you know, small segments of the journey, we can look back and say, wow, Jesus was doing this in this period of time. But there's something to be, I think there's something to uphold in your example right now to be able to say, you know, things are actually really hard. I'm experiencing a decent amount of loss. I'm having to reconsider my sense of purpose and identity as different things are being stripped away and success isn't flowing. And, um, this is not the absence of Christ in my life. This is the presence of Christ in my life. And when when we really do look at the scriptures and Jesus' teaching in particular, we gloss over um, or spiritualize his teachings about losing our lives so that we may find it. And yeah. whatever we want that to mean, it it actually means what it's <laughs> what he's saying. Yeah. Um yeah. And that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus modeled for us um, from the incarnation to his death and, and resurrection. Uh, he could have, he, he was not, um, he didn't have to be obscure. You know, he was, he was this, the most powerful teacher, magnetic healer, prophet. Obviously, people flock to him all the time, but time and time again, you see him saying something that makes everybody want to leave and eventually go to his death and to be murdered and to be a failed Messiah. I mean, Jesus was a failed Messiah. Um, And so for you to be able to have this um, growing awareness of this is a hard season and I'm, I'm letting go of a lot of things, whether by choice or, or not as Jesus Mm -hmm. present with you, I think is a really powerful thing to bear witness to because we don't have to be on the other side or victory doesn't always look in the kingdom the way that it looks in the world. And if we come to see our testimony as, well, it's obviously things worked out the way that everybody would understand that this is a victory for me, then we're probably going to miss a lot of things that God is up to in our lives because God's God's idea of success, I think, is pretty different than what our culture tells us success is about. A hundred percent. And I think we're also going to communicate to the majority of people that God is not present in their story because most people don't have resolution. Most people are not sitting on the other side of a difficult journey where they've emerged victorious. They're still dealing with wounds that have been, you know, they've, they've given themselves, other people have given them relationships that have fallen apart, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, if if the only t- testimony of Jesus' presence with us is when we are victorious, um, then we're all we're all screwed. 
Like, this is not, um, that's not most people's story. Um, and frankly, again, it's nonsensical if we actually take Jesus seriously, right? Like, if Jesus talks about, you know, the poor being blessed, how do we make any sense of that at all if the whole goal is to be wealthy? If the whole goal is to get on the other side of that poverty to wealth, then Jesus is just messing with us. Like, what does that even mean? Um, and you can just go on and on, I think, with the things that Jesus says, where if, if we actually take them seriously, if we think Jesus is not just, again, messing with us, then it has to challenge our perceived ideas of like what it means to be blessed, what it means that Jesus is at work in our lives. Yeah, and it's striking me that that framework that says we must believe in a seven-day literal creation but then not take Jesus literally at his word when he's saying these things. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, we absolutely uh, that because yeah. it's uncomfortable and it demands something yeah. of me. Um, and it and it will make me have to re recalculate um, how I'm thinking of myself and measuring my success and, and imagining what it means to follow Jesus. You know, and I'm even thinking, you know, you say the majority of people are living with wounds and it just came to my mind, you know, even Jesus, victorious over death, over sin and death, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. appears to his disciples with wound, with his wounds, with his yeah. scars, and says, "Thomas, put your hand in my side. Put your put your hand in my wounds." And my, like, Jesus is wounded. Jesus yeah. sends to, yeah. to the right hand of the Father to take up his rightful place as King of the Cosmos. And he is still bearing the scars of what this world did to him. Yeah. And that's our savior. That's that's who we follow. That's who we say we're trying to be like. And so who is more like Christ? The person who's still nursing wounds and, and moving forward or the person who is trying to put on as if everything's fine and dandy and, you know, life's great and I'm I'm totally good and um, chasing yeah. this idea of success that's dictated more by our culture than it is mm. by the teachings of our rabbi. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, and I like the fact that you came back around to saying that I'm more like Jesus. That's good. Oh, and Tim, I also need you to know we've had Greg Boyd on the podcast, and I do believe that he is older than than you. Oh, that's right. Yep. Yeah. That's so, true. Just definitely. But he's cooler though. So. Older and cooler. Yeah, just making sure to put you in your place. I've affirmed you much too much, much too much. <laughs> so we got we to gotta make the world right before we wrap up. That's great. Hey, yeah. anything, anything else burning coming to your heart or mind that you want to share with me and with our listeners today before we wrap up? Um, hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think what I just... I really want people to know that, and again, this is going to sound weird, but I think it's really true. Like, I think this is a really, the world is a really safe place to be. You know, Dallas Willard would, you know, he would say that the the message of Jesus is that the, the world when we're in the will of the Father, when we're in the kingdom, that the world is a really safe place to be. Um, and I think there's so many things that scream that that isn't true, 
and it doesn't feel experientially true often. But I just, I feel like so many of us are operating from this place of, of anxiety and fear and concern for the future. Um, and I think if we take Jesus seriously, that he keeps wanting to say, like, again, don't be afraid. Like, there's a lot to be afraid of. He's not saying fear is stupid. He's not saying fear is weakness. I think he's just saying fear is unnecessary. Mm. Um, and I think, and, and I guess I'm, I'm talking to myself as much as anybody else, but man, I'd love to see more and more of us increasingly kind of moment by moment move um, a little bit closer to a, a sense of trust and a little bit further away from fear. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's that's my hope for me, my hope for you, it's hope for my hope for the people listening. Um, yeah, maybe, I don't know, maybe that's it. Oh, and also, the Holy District's awesome. If you're listening, you know that, but you guys are great, and I'm so excited to be on the podcast, excited to be listening and following along. You guys are great. Hey, you're the Holy District. We, we it's are true. the Holy District. Yeah. And, you know, I'll, I'll just add one of my favorite passages is in first John and talks about how perfect love casts out fear. Mm -hmm. And I'm really resonating with a part of what you're saying, Tim, because I think we do have so many reasons to be afraid or anxious. And yet, um, it's not a sustainable place to make our decisions from. It's not a sustainable place to engage in relationship from. And what, um, the mystic, you know, John offers us is that perfect love, mature love is the thing mm -hmm. that casts out fear. And so I'm continually trying to imagine what, how do I, how do I live for what I love? How do I live toward what I love rather mm -hmm. than how do I try to prepare for what I'm afraid of? Or how do I fight against what is causing me anxiety? Because love is an eternal resource um yeah. that flow because god is love and god loves us and god gives us love to love others with whereas fear is eternally draining and costly and so mm -hmm. yeah it's not that the world isn't like isn't dangerous or there aren't scary things happening yeah. and how do we have open eyes about that and make our decisions from a place of love that enables us to move forward with courage and trust and um, hopefully be the good news of the kingdom in a world that is suffering. Yeah. Yeah, it's another one of those paradoxes, right? Like, every one of Jesus' followers was killed. Um, and yet, one of the most common refrains we hear from everybody is, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. So, yeah. Well, Tim, as always, I love talking to you. Thanks for sharing your story and um, how you see Jesus showing up in this kind of in-between season in your life where you're just taking a step at a time and trying to lean into trust. Um, you're a gift to me as a friend, and you're a gift to the Holy District community. So thanks for being on. Oh, well, thank you. Thanks so much. This is great. And thanks to you, our listener, for joining us again for another week of the Holy District Podcast. I want to just say pretty quickly here, as we wrapped up this thought about the world being a safe place and living from a place of love rather than fear, 
I did want to acknowledge that there are times and situations when we find ourselves in danger and experiencing pain and abuse and harm and times when the world is not safe. These things happen not because we're outside of God's will or not living in the kingdom of God, but because others are living in opposition to the kingdom of God and are causing harm to us. And if you are in a situation like that and you need help, I want you to know that the Holy District is a community that wants to support you and help you to find a place of safety and healing so that you can experience the good, safe world that God has in mind for every one of his children. So please reach out to us. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, at Rediscover Sacred. You can jump on our website, holydistrict.org. You can reach out to me directly. My email is erica at holydistrict.org. That's E-R-I-C-K-A at holydistrict.org. Whether you're going through something difficult and need some help, or you are interested in taking a next step on your spiritual journey or just looking for a community to connect with, we would love to get to know you better and join you on your journey, whatever that may look like. Thanks again for listening, and we will talk to you next week. The Holy District is a growing network of people in the United States who are finding creative ways to live integrated, Jesus-centered lives in our communities, with our communities, and for our communities. We're dedicated to rediscovering the sacred in the everyday spaces where we already live, work, and play, and we're so glad you're on the journey with us. In the